from runasradio.com, you're listening to Run As Radio, the internet audio talk show for IT professionals with Richard Campbell. This is Brandon Wen announcing show number 587, SQL Linux and Containers with guest Bob Ward, recorded Monday, April 30th, 2018. Run As Radio is produced each week by Pwop Productions, providing professional media and podcasting services online at pwop.com. You can follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash runasradio. Thank you, Brandon. This is Richard Campbell. Thanks for listening to Run As Radio. Bringing back one of my favorites today, Bob Ward, who's a principal architect for Microsoft Data Group, the Tiger Team, which owns the development and servicing of all SQL Server versions. And he's worked at Microsoft for well, more than 23 years, supporting and speaking every version of SQL Server shipped all the way back from the OS2 editions. Good Lord. <laughs> oh, man. That's true, Richard. It's true. <laughs> well, I remember getting on board in the VB days. Oh, gosh. With the Sybase edition. Oh, yeah, sure. Right? It was VB2, and it was the first connectors for real databases, because, we, of course, we had access to the Jet Engine and stuff like that. Right. There was a third-party tool called SQL Sombrero. Oh, I don't even remember that. <laughs> Man, and it allowed me to put in the connection strings. Of course, we didn't use that term back then. For a net buoy-based network oh, yeah. under NT3.1, there you go. UI-free version of Windows, UI-free version of SQL. But you know what? It was honking fast, and it was bomb-proof. Oh, yeah. Simpler back then. And I had about 12 users. And as soon as you started getting real contention on the access back end, it had problems. It was one of those things where most of the time, most people are looking at data or entering data. They're not actually transactioning against the database. And so a file-based database was fine except when it wasn't. Right. And it was absolutely consistent. I think it was the first time, man, this must have been 1993 or four. Yeah. It was the first time I knew for sure about this idea that scalability is not the fastest thing, but the same speed no matter how many users. Correct. Correct. Well, it's funny. Uh, I need to update my profile for you. This is actually my 25th year at the company. Wow. Congratulations. They give you a thing, don't they? Yes. <laughs> I think something, Wall of Fame, somewhere at Microsoft, somewhere, I'll have to go check that out. You know, I'm based in Texas, so I need right. to go up there to the, to the mothership and, and look at all that stuff. But here's the irony about what you just said. This fall, we will be celebrating the 25th anniversary of SQL Server on Windows. And it coincides with when I started the company. We launched SQL Server uh, 4.2 for Windows NT back in September of 1993. Yeah. And I started, I started a month later. Wow. So I started OS 2 because that was the primary number of customers we had, but quickly started immersing myself in, in Windows. But here's the irony. The irony is before I joined Microsoft, I was a Unix programmer. Mm. <laughs> All right. So living on the other side of the world there. Yeah. You ever heard of something like, you know, maybe HPUX or yep. IBM's AIX or mm -hmm. uh, Ultrix from DEC? I was a Cunix guy. So there I built go. control systems for factories uh, for a while there and they needed real time. Yeah. And so, yeah, no, I, I breathed Cunix. Hey, before we go tearing off the subject, I want to read a comment from a listener here. Sure. We always send them a run as radio mug when we do this. This is from episode 572. So just back in February of this year, the show was about managing SQL Server with DBA tools. Okay. So this was, you know, PowerShell for SQL Server. Uh, Rob Sewell was the guest. Okay. This comment comes from Andy Helsby, who says, I use this tool to copy 28 databases and settings from three instances into one new instance the day before I heard about this podcast. 
It took 60 minutes in total after I spent some time setting it up. It was way, way quicker than I could have done it through RDO or any other mechanisms for moving stuff around with the pointy clicky things. Because, you know, DBA tools strength, like it's a general command tool set now through through the command line, but it comes from the import migration space. That's its primary capability. And just that repeatability of being able to run an import and see, did I get it right? Or, you know, test that migration, do it again and again and again until you're absolutely confident. Yeah, that's a great quote. And you're going to see as we're going to talk a little bit today about tooling and a direction that we're headed at Microsoft. Everything we talk about in our team today is about what you just said. Right. Can we make it faster, easier, repeatable, consistent? And then there's a few other little fun things I'll tell you about our tool strategy, which are involved with our topic today. But that's a great quote from your customer. And it's a funny truth, right? It's like, I think Microsoft's original emphasis, you know, we're playing the Wayback Machine here for 93 and stuff, was to put a really great GUI around SQL Server administration. Because it used to be command line everything. And now we seem to be swinging back in some respects that the command line definitely has some strengths. And one of them is repeatability. And this kind of tooling is part of that process. Absolutely. So, Andy, thank you so much for your comment. A Run As Radio mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a Run As Radio <laughs> mug, write a comment on the website at runasradio.com or via any of our social media. Every show is posted to LinkedIn, Google Plus, and Facebook. And if you comment there and I read it on the show, I'll send you a mug. 25 years at Microsoft, sir, and always in the SQL space. And you know, I'm working on a book on the history of .NET. I know, you told me about that. I could almost write a book on the history of SQL Server too, because Microsoft SQL Server, I mean, coming from those Unix Sybase roots, that great rewrite with Dr. Gray and all those guys oh, yes. in for seven that just like changed everything, kind of changed databases as a whole. And now you guys make a Linux version. What's going on? <laughs> I never thought I would see us work on Linux. I mean, to, to be on Unix programmer before, yeah, and then now for us to make that decision. And it was a hard decision for a company. But a couple of years back, when we started making a, a move on Azure mm -hmm. to allow Linux virtual machines, if you remember kind of back in those days, we're like, hey, let's, let's embrace Linux on Azure. That's kind of a thing for us, right? It made sense because Linux, very, very popular operating system. Not that Windows is not great. It's awesome. Right. So our team got together and said... You know, what are we going to do about this? We actually started having customers and partners like Red Hat come to us and say, hey, there's other database vendors that we don't want to work with anymore. <laughs> I won't name those. You don't need to. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, they, they literally said, like, we love your product. It's amazing. But our infrastructure, our company standard is Linux. Yeah. And we'd love to see you guys in that space. And so our team worked pretty hard on this and thought about it and came up with a very interesting, clever design to get to the market very quickly to bring SQL Server to Linux. And, you know, I was at a conference, uh, you may have heard of this conference in London called SQL Bits. Yeah, I was there speaking on this topic. And I was there in the audience and, and somebody said, Bob, should I run SQL Server on Windows or Linux? And my answer was yes. Yeah, of course. And I paused and I'm like, hey, I don't care where you run it. No. I love Windows as an operating system. I work for Microsoft. I think it's a great operating system. But my objective is for you to run SQL Server everywhere. And by now adopting and embracing the Linux ecosystem and containers, we really have really opened up the market for SQL, which is already a great industry force already, and I think just a great product. I'm a little biased since I've worked on it, but now giving that option for customers, and that's what's happened since we've done this, by the way. I've talked to customers where customers have come to me and said, I want a choice, and you've given it now to me. Yeah, and it did happen astonishingly fast. I think I heard the first rumors about making a Linux implementation uh, connect two years ago, maybe three yes. years ago. Yes. Tobias Turnstrom probably demoed it for you. Probably yeah. got on stage and demonstrated it. Yeah, exactly. And then it was pretty confident. It was like, wow, an operating system change, that's going to be a while. You know, I'm glad you guys are doing it. Good luck. 
that's going to be hard work. And then all of a sudden, I think a year later, you're like, okay, we're ready to ship. I'm like, what? Isn't that crazy? <laughs> you know, what, what we did was amazing, Richard. You probably heard this guy named Slava Oaks. Maybe mm-hmm. a lot of people have heard him before. Kind of the father of SQL OS, which is an important component of SQL Server, abstracting SQL from the operating system. Slava worked with the research team years ago when we first started this venture on a project called Drawbridge. And Drawbridge is a mechanism, kind of like almost a container concept, to abstract the program from the operating system it's running on. Interesting. And we adopted that methodology, that project. We, we modified it, built something called SQL PAL, where it allows the SQL Server code to not really understand what operating system it's running on. I know that sounds crazy. Here's one that's just going to blow your mind and the audience away. SQL Server executable on Linux is the exact same binary code running on Windows. That's crazy. It's crazy, right? It's also brilliant because it means you're literally, you make a change one place, it affects both places. Correct. So column store index is great performance feature we've had now in the last couple of releases. That code runs unchanged on both systems. That's what we have confidence to say that SQL Server can run really, really well for your application and almost run unchanged for your application, no matter where you put it on Linux or Windows. And using this architecture is kind of how we achieved it. Yeah, no, no kidding. And, and yeah, hugely powerful. Right. It also tells to me sustainable, right? You're not running a separate team for the Linux edition and you got to question value all the time. Like those sorts of strategies, when I put on that enterprise architect hat and said, should we bet on this? It's like, right. you look at how is the company sustaining itself around how it builds things. And you're like, well, that, that will last. That it's just a normal part of their flow. So why why would you stop? It'll just keep going. One of the simple demos I do on, on this when I show it off is I showed the simple install process, which is radically different than Windows, but it's light, lightweight and fast. Mm-hmm. But one of the first things I do is just restore a database from Windows onto SQL Linux. Just restore it and start querying on it. And people are like, well, why do you do a basic demo like that? I'm like, well, I'm just showing you the portability of what we've done. Right. That your application... Just restore your database from Windows, put it on Linux, start connecting your app and run queries, and it, it looks the same, actually, from, from a SQL perspective. And that's kind of what the promise of Platform of Choice is, and that's what we've done in this release. It's pretty cool. No, I totally get it. Now, the conversation about containers and databases is always an interesting one, for the simple reason that containers are non-persistent. You don't keep data there, and this is a database, kind of important. <laughs> Yeah, what are we going to do about that, right? (laughs) Well, Docker has an interesting thing that they brought along, and that is the ability to specify a volume that's persisted. And Mm -hmm. so when you use SQL Server with Docker in production, what you simply do is when you run your Docker container image, you say, hey, I would like that SQL Server directory where the databases are to really map to this volume on a host system. Maybe it's a network drive, for example, or the, the actual bare metal host system. And that's where my databases are going to go. So, you know, when you stop and start a container, you still save what you had. But when you remove the container, that's when you actually lose whatever you wrote into the container. Right. But if you use this persisted concept, then you can actually now move a SQL database onto that shared volume. And it doesn't matter if the containers are removed or not. And in fact, here's the really cool part that we're kind of now going down this path with customers is it could be an upgrade path for you. Right. So if you've got your databases all sitting in this persisted volume with a container. So you're running SQL 17 right now. We come along with a new version of SQL Server. You simply stop this container. You start another one, point it to the same volume. We automatically upgrade your databases and you're up and running to the new version. Sure. That's how simple it could be. Well, you know, that's the whole thing when you start thinking about containers is, well, we don't update containers. We just replace them. So that mindset's very strong. 
But I think more in terms of all the work I've done over the years with hot failover and so forth, building out Windows clusters yes. and having two instances of SQL Server and the licensing required around that. And just this whole idea that one's got the handles of the files that represent the database and the other one's just trying to get them. Right. And when whatever happens to server A causes it to tip over and it drops those handles, the other one picks it up and keeps going. That's right. But you had to keep those versions exactly the same. Like it was, right. you had to be super careful with that sort of thing. So, but containers sort of do that innately, this idea yes. that clusters just always exist. Yeah, we've really embraced this Kubernetes concept, right? Mm-hmm. This Kubernetes clustering idea, whether it's on your own machine, your own environment, or say you're running in a cloud environment, Azure, Amazon, we fully embrace in the middle of Kubernetes. And today, we even demonstrate how we can use the shared storage feature of Kubernetes to do automatic failing over. And what we'd like to move towards is in integrating our availability group technology, which is you know non-shared storage, right, into Kubernetes itself. Right. And that way, we could even set ourselves up within Kubernetes, use that clustering infrastructure to do failover scenarios with our replica technology, not just with like a, a shared storage failover instance. So we're kind of really making a bet on containers. And a lot of people think of it right now as a little bit of a development thing, which it can be part of a CI, CD type pipeline. Sure. I had a customer, I was just with you. I was in Orlando at at our event where we did our panel, which I always have fun doing. Mm -hmm. And after that panel, a gentleman walked up to me and said, I have 2,000 SQL Server instances in my environment. I would love within the next few years to put those all in containers in a production cluster. I'm like, whoa. (laughs) I mean, that's how serious they are about it, right? And this feels like the conversation we had about Old school virtualization, the VMware, yes. eventually Hyper-V, where it's the same kind of thing where I like being abstracted from the hardware. And now with the, with the container strategies, I'm abstracted from the operating system. That's right. So it's a funny story. You mentioned that. Travis Wright's one of my colleagues on the SQL team. He, he was in there from the very beginning on the SQL Linux project, big mm-hmm. part of getting that out the door. And he's really into containers. And so I was asking him one day about Windows containers, Linux containers. And he stopped me and he said, why do you care? Yeah. And I'm like, what do you mean, why do I care? And he goes, well, imagine a database container now where SQL Server is just running a container and you really don't care about the operating system that is powering inside that container, you really don't mind. And since Docker allows portability across everything now, you, you have a plug-and-play database container, you just move wherever you want. And I thought to myself, I'm thinking, that's actually pretty genius. So again, I'm at this conference in London at SQL Bits and a gentleman, as I'm presenting on Linux, stands up and says, hey, I'm a Mac user and I love what you're talking about here, Bob, because you're doing your demos on a Windows laptop and you still kind of have a Windows feel to your presentation. And I said, and I just, I can't believe I did this, but I just threw it out there. I hadn't tried it yet. I said, hey, I, I want you to take the SQL Mac challenge. He says, what's the SQL Mac challenge? I said, I can get you up and running on SQL Server on your MacBook within five minutes with no <laughs> Windows and no virtualization software. And I challenge you to do this and put it on Twitter. Well, he did and it worked. Wow. I just recently got my own MacBook and I just did a blog post on my Bob SQL blog post of the SQL Mac challenge. I'm like, hey, take the SQL Mac challenge. And all these people were just, you know, loving it and laughing. Some people said, oh, Bob, you're being funny. It's serious. Install Docker, you know, and do a Docker pull of the SQL image. And then we have this really cool new tool we've built called SQL Operations Studio, a new graphical tool that is both cross-platform and open source. Install that thing on your Mac. And if you've got a reasonable internet connection, you can do this in five minutes. And I showed how to do it. Okay, is that not a weird world for Microsoft? (laughs) No, it's absolutely. But it just speaks to this is... What containers really talk about is we were fully abstracted in the operating system. That's correct. And, and a portability story, right? So Yeah, I mean, and we're counting on you guys, the folks that own Windows, the Microsoft folks, to make sure that that stays true, right? There is a yes. layer there. But for us in operations, the fact that we can simply pick up a container and run it anywhere should be expected. It's, this, it's a reasonable goal to have, to just have that flexibility. 
kind of daunted me. I, I can have a database on a USB stick now, a SQL on a USB stick, a yep. container on a USB stick, and just walk around wherever I want and just u- use it, right? I'm thinking, that's actually pretty cool for demos. <laughs> Many years ago, back when there was TechEd in Asia, when it was yeah. typically in Kuala Lumpur, remember Kim Tripp and I collaborated on the idea of building a clustered database where the database files were actually on a series of USB keys. There you go. So that she could fail them just by yanking the key out. Right. Because, you know, it's always a challenge on stage to demo a failure of any kind, right? Right. So just being, hey, a drive's about to go down, yank. <laughs> exactly. And off you go. Yeah, it's just the, that kind of, of mindset. And now we're talking about that's not a big deal. You could just operate that way. That's just the way it works. To, yeah. yeah, exactly. I mean, Richard, I don't know if you heard what I was talking about that Operation Studio thing, but that's how we roll now in tools in SQL Server. Everything we build new now in tooling is both open source and cross-platform. Absolutely. So that SQL Ops Studio graphical thing I mentioned, that runs on Mac, Windows, and Linux. It looks the same interface between the three. It's based on Visual Studio Code, so that's how we adopt that infrastructure. And then MS SQL CLI is our new command line interface, because we have a lot of people that love that, and that's Mm -hmm. all based on Python. So it just runs anywhere Python runs. Awesome. So... What a weird new world Microsoft is in, Absolutely. especially even the SQL team. But I love it. Yeah. Bob, give me one moment here for this very important message. This episode of Run As Radio is brought to you by the Humanitarian Toolbox. Humanitarian Toolbox builds open source software for disaster relief organizations. One of the leading projects called Already focuses on getting volunteers into the right place at the right time using cloud and mobile technology. HTBox builds and operates this and other applications on behalf of a variety of disaster response organizations, and they need your help. Go to htbox.org for more information or to make a tax-deductible donation. HTBox is a 501c3 U.S. registered charity. And we're back. Richard Campbell here on Run As Radio talking to Bob Ward. And just mentioned SQL Operation Studio before the break. I've got the link here. I'll put it in the show notes. So I love released for Windows, Mac OS, and Linux all on April 25th, 2018. Of course, that's the current patch, which is yeah. 0.28.6, still in preview, but this is the new norm. I don't care what operating system you're running on. That's really that's interesting. Right. How are you guys building that? Or do you even want to talk about that? Yeah, I mean, so Visual Studio Code, extremely popular. Sure. Somebody told me it's like the, one of the number one development platforms now in the world for Mac users, for Linux users, and so forth to yeah. build code. Well, that infrastructure provides this ability to go cross-platform. And so we just adhere to that. And we built on top of it. And we were very committed from the very beginning to make, just like Visual Studio Code guys did, to make our project and our tooling open source. So here's one of the benefits. So people obviously can be committers and offer bug fixes or enhancements and so forth. Mm -hmm. But we provided natural abilities for them to customize it. We've built something called extensions, which is just like in Visual Studio Code, this extension concept. Right. So Adam Mechanics, a very popular MVP in the community, he wrote this stored procedure called SP Who is Active. And if you're a SQL user listening right now, you're like, oh, yeah, I know that. I download that thing. It's a T-SQL script he built that's massive. And it's used to kind of monitor your system and look at the state of SQL. And so we worked with Adam to actually bake that into our server extensions on the graphical interface in OpStudio. Maybe you've heard of this guy named Paul Randall. I think we've been involved with him for a while before. No idea. No idea, that guy. He (laughs) built this really amazing community site called the Wait Types Library, involving all the different Wait Types SQL supports. And so we built an extension based on his work called the Paul Randall Wait Types Dashboard or something, right? (laughs) And so all open source. So people can go in and make changes to it, you know, make contributions and I, again, I can't. I was actually polling the team the other day, and I was like, "How many open source projects are we involved now?" And all of a sudden, there's like 30 of them. Wow! I, I couldn't believe it. And that's again, that's just how we roll now. We think it's the right thing to do, quite frankly, for our customers and for our users. And Op Studio is a good example of that. 
Yeah, no, no. It, we used to have to, as SQL admins, sort of gather this data ourselves. The fact that our tools are now making it easier for us to keep all that stuff in one place, it's less and less your your custom toolkit and more just selecting the options of the feature sets you want. Right, exactly. Yeah, very compelling to just to sort of put it all together in one place and, and be able to manage it. And we really started that journey as part of the Linux journey. So, I mean, it, it, we, we could have done that project outside of our Linux work, but I think the, the work of going towards Linux as a choice for customers kind of fueled the team, the tools team to say, why don't we just embrace this? Why don't we go open source cross-platform as we're doing the Linux work and kind of coincide with that? And so, you know, if you're sitting here on this call and you say, well, I'm still a Windows person, no problem. Op Studio works great on Windows, but maybe you've got Mac users in your Windows environment and mm-hmm. they want to use SQL Server. Well, here you go. You can use the Op Studio version of Mac against your SQL Server backend on Windows, and it runs the same right. as it does on SQL and Linux. It's just lowering the bar. And I also have found consistently, certainly as the guy who's been wearing the historian hat fairly often lately, is every time you take a tool or a product and run it in different environments, it gets better for all of the environments. Absolutely. That you sort of shave off those rough edges that had weird dependencies and things. You get more focused on what the key things were. So every product ultimately benefits from that mindset. There's another advantage. We've had great tools over the years, I believe, at NSQL Server. Management Studio is now still a very popular one on Windows. But some of the community has been a little bit skeptical of our investment in that. And mm-hmm. so when they saw us go open source, they felt a lot better about it. Their comment was like, well, since you've gone open source, even if you start deinvesting some, it's open source. Yeah, We can take and do what we want with this sure. thing, right? And so that's another big advantage of going that path. Anybody can now fork that and go where they want to go. Correct. Absolutely. I think the average ops person struggles with that that's really true. Like if you haven't spent time in GitHub and actually seen this sort of reality that you could absolutely do that, it's hard to even grasp. But, uh, you know, you sit with your devs for a little while and say, what if this was, you know, we wanted a feature in this? What would what would the process take? And you, you sort of get a hint that it can happen pretty fast. It can happen very quickly, actually. You're right. Not just saying you guys are deinvesting right now, because it's clearly things are moving along very rapidly. Where do you see the relationship between SQL Server and the sort of NoSQL movement as well? Because it seemed to be more contentious a few years ago, and it just doesn't seem to be that way anymore. I think you're going to see us embrace this, actually. Mm-hmm. If you think about data, I'm a data person. Data is a valuable commodity in a lot of customers and, and for a lot of businesses. And so we have to recognize that, that, that there's structured data, right? You would call it that way, that's in SQL Server relational databases that people have massaged and formatted and use ETL processes to get in. They kind of know their data. But imagine all the data out there that's unstructured or semi-structured. Just a bunch of files that people have that they've collected. And I think I would call this kind of an unknown value to some of this data. So imagine a world where we could actually use the power of SQL Server to do a couple things. One, to go query on top of some of that type of data that may be, for example, stored in Hadoop or big data systems. Sure. And then, and then maybe join it together. I mean, we actually introduced a feature in 16 called Polybase to do something like that. And so I think my thinking is down the road is, could we take and go doing more with that and go even farther? But I will tell you that there's a, there's a room in this world, in my opinion, for NoSQL databases like Cosmos DB, for example. Mm-hmm. You're a developer out there. You haven't built an app yet. It's a brand new app. It's cloud-born. You're going to put it in the cloud, for example, like say in Azure. And you know you just have a bunch of object models that you're just working on data. And you just want persistence of that and really high-speed transactions against that data. If you just want to do it all in the cloud, Cosmos DB can be a very, very attractive option for you. Oh, for sure. And that is not a SQL Server solution. I still think SQL Server and the work that we would do, especially when we start thinking about this unstructured data, has a major place 
in this space, and they certainly can coexist instead of being kind of competing with each other totally. But I think about that unstructured data scenario, data lakes of customers that have things in their environment that they want to go find and what that looks like, and then bring that together with what you might think of high-value data that's in your relational database. That is certainly a future scenario, I think, that would be very valuable for our customers and something we should probably look at. I find myself, and maybe it's just going to be turning into the old guy, doing talks with DBAs. And this has even come up a couple of times on those panel conversations about this as database professionals, really data professionals, we are stewards of data to our organizations. And it almost doesn't matter where it comes from. This is not about technology. This is about responsibility and controlling access to data. Yeah, if you think about DBAs, what they traditionally do with SQL Server, they do exactly what you just said. Yeah, they have some things that are specific to a relational database, but they have all the skills and things that they do today that give them that data stewardship. Mm -hmm. So I totally agree with you. And I think today's professional that looks at our strategy at Microsoft, if they are worried about the cloud, for example, taking over their job or what they're going to do, they should really actually think of it's going to be a way where their skills are actually embraced further. Sure. And here's why. If you look at everything we're doing in SQL Server or even in Azure Data, it's all about SQL language. (laughs) Even Cosmos DB. Cosmos DB uh, users are asking, you know, what's the SQL interface on top of this? <laughs> so any, seriously, any data steward, any professional that knows SQL language and how to query data efficiently and how to steward it using SQL extensions or how to properly tune queries and so forth, that is going to become still a valuable asset for sure. you and still keep your skills sharp because everything we do seems to have that as a common interface or language. And anybody asking me that question about their future, I'm like, hey, your SQL language skills are going to be valuable no matter what. But I'm agreeing with you that the data stewardship part of this as well. How does, you know how to secure data. You know sure. how to back it up. You know how to create a disaster recovery strategy. You still need that stuff, no matter where the data is. That core conversation about an acid test. All right, so you want to store in this object store model. That's fine. How do we know that the transaction is reliable? How do we back it up? How do we recover it? Like Those kinds of responsibility that represent that stewardship, that obligation with a trust to make sure that this data is actually safe and reliable and can be shared the way it's supposed to be is following the governance that our organization requires for protecting data. Those are all things independent of any technology. My good friend, Connor Cunningham, who's an architect in the SQL team, we were getting ready to present a SQL Bits together. We were just talking about the core functionalities of a relational engine or even mm-hmm. a database product platform itself. And Connor calls it the meat and potatoes. And it's performance, security, and high availability. Sure. And so when I talk about SQL Server, no matter what version, running Linux, running containers, running Windows, or even talk about other Azure data services, I always speak in those three terms. What's performance look like? Because everybody usually cares about that. Yep. How secure is it? What are the features of security that that platform provides? And then what's your high availability story? So if you think about today's data professional, they have skills in all those areas, even yeah. some SQL so today. And that could apply to anything that's data related. Yeah, they certainly cultivated it for a particular technology, but there's no reason they could apply it to others. Absolutely. You know, and obviously offering a Linux version means simplifying the attack service of an organization or the monitoring service. So that provides an aspect of security. Containerization is very interesting in this model as well, that you'd just don't have these infinitely persistent virtual machines or, heaven forbid, bare metal machines that can be poked at forever. That's right. That's right. That's one of the beauties of kind of the isolated environment of running a a container. So not just portability, but isolation. Mm -hmm. And it's also a consistency thing, right? So you are in charge of container images for your organization. You now have a better feel of the container images that you would provide for developers or in production scenarios. Whereas VMs, that's a little tougher thing to control. And the containers give you a lot more control over that. 
Yeah, well, it's all that configuration is code mindset. But this does speak to the licensing model then too. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if you want to go down this rabbit hole, Bob, because it is a specialty all by itself. But what does licensing look like for SQL Server when it's running in a container? Actually, it's interesting you say that because the licensing right now today is exactly the same. Hmm. So a lot of our customers have contracts with Microsoft where they have software assurance or some sort of contract that says, okay, we're going to purchase X licenses, right? Yeah. And so if you buy that and you and it's valid for SQL 17 today, that license applies to SQL Server on Windows, Linux, or even containers. It doesn't really actually matter. Interesting. I think we have to we have to think though down the road about what do we do in the future in terms of usage of containers. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Does it make sense still that a customer has to buy a dedicated license for a container, or could they even consider a possibility of a usage model? Right. It's almost like when you do in the cloud. Right. So that's a that's a consideration for us to think about what what makes sense in a container world since we're first starting just down this journey. We're going to get very creative, I'm sure, and think about how can customers best use those container resources and then pay for the usage that they do have of those. But today, the licensing is the same. This is funny you mentioned this because I get a little radical from our marketing team. They sometimes don't like things I say, like run SQL anywhere, Azure, Amazon, Linux, Windows, just do it anywhere. Right? I don't want it to be a virus. I also say the same thing about standard edition for SQL Server and SQL Express even. You know, I'm telling developers on Linux, hey, you know, you've got Postgres or MySQL out there. Postgres can be free. You can just run it on your laptop or something. Exactly. Well, we've still got SQL Developer Edition, which is a free version of SQL with all its features. But you can even prop up SQL Express for a small little project that you have just to prove to your company in a production scenario with just a few users, I can run SQL Server, and that's free. And then if you say, oh, well, I got to get to like 50 users now or something in this environment, you can go to Standard Edition. Mm -hmm. And then if you want to go full-blown mission critical, we have Enterprise. And so a lot of customers see at Microsoft us just focus on enterprise, I think, a lot, which rightfully so. It's about enterprise sure. mission-critical apps. But Standard Edition and Express are still great, great additions for you to run. And I think as we start looking more at the Linux developer community, they need to understand those options exist. Yeah. And I, you know, when I think about the challenge around licensing SQL Server, you're still poking through all those layers down to counting how many cores I'm using. Exactly. And that gets confusing when I don't care about which CPU it is. You know, AMD and Intel are not the same. Right. Or the operating system, because they're not the same, or the virtualization layer, and now the container layer. Like, it gets very hard to talk about cores with that much abstraction. We did kind of change up the licensing model a little bit for virtualization when that model still started to become very popular, right? And I think you'll see us do the same thing for containers. We have to take a look at that because it's not going to make sense to run just the same model we have today in the future. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, and I I appreciate that that that's on your mind. And I certainly had the experience hanging with you at SQL Intersection, doing these panel conversations where you're often the Microsoft rep in the room. (laughs) That's true. You sometimes take a little beating, and I appreciate the grace that you handle that with. Thank you. But I'm very aware, having done this long enough now, that there are often arguments going on in that room that you have already had. Yeah. Anytime somebody asks a question like you're asking here, there's been oodles of conversations and email chains and meetings yes. to discuss what we should do. And believe it or not, we really do care about our customers. <laughs> yeah, no, and, I, and I've, I've seen that reaction on your face where yeah. that conversation has come up in a way that's interesting to you, that reflects a conversation which you probably can't share at the time. Right. But right. Uh, I've read your body language enough times to know, oop, touched a button there. Pretty sure I know what side of that conversation Bob was on when it happened internally. Well, believe it or not, one of the cool things of the SQL team they've done is hire people from customer backgrounds. So like, I love it. You've known me. I've been in customer support most of my career. Sure. Other people like in our Tiger team and other uh, groups at the engineering team, they come from customer backgrounds as well. And so we're the people in the room going, 
you know, that's not a good idea for our customer. Yeah. And I realize we're here to make money and make a profit, but this isn't a good idea for our customer. And we have a lot of people in the engineering team now that have that background. And our engineering leadership completely embraces that. Sometimes we make decisions as a business and we have to, and I understand that. Sure. But I'm always somebody in these conversations going, you know what? I don't think that's a good idea. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes I can win that argument. Sometimes I can't. But uh, I appreciate your comment. I think grace plus truth is a, a methodology I like to deploy in my life and in my career. And so all those scenarios you're talking about, I try to, I try to use that as a methodology and, a, and as a mantra on how I, I treat people and, and treat those situations. You've done very well. You're a great representative of the organization and certainly of the product. So, uh, Mr. Ward, thank you so much for spending time with me. Always love coming on, Richard. Thanks for having me. You bet. And we'll talk to you next time on Run As Radio. 